Welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Root. This is a podcast about... Well, hold up. I want to be part of the intro, too. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh, n- never mind. You can you can do it. Okay. Uh, like I was saying, I'm Meredith Root, former engineer, CrossFit Games athlete, and owner of Tactic Nutrition. That was the one and only Alex Parker, former lawyer, also a CrossFit Games athlete, and co-owner of Tactic Nutrition. This podcast is about fitness, health, nutrition, CrossFit, business, mindset, and things that grind our gears. Wait, hang on. Ivy wants to say something. Go ahead, Ivy. Ah, she's, she's shy. No surprise there. Our goal is to give you something to think, talk about, hopefully make you laugh a little along the way. Hello, Alex. Meredith. It's Sunday afternoon. And we're awake. Are we ready for this? <laughs> yeah, we are. Your eyes are like half. There's one that's like You were the one closed. who was napping earlier. That's because I had a like a big day outside of unplanned outdoor chores. It started with... And by unplanned, you mean unnecessary? I wouldn't say unnecessary. Like the leaves definitely needed to be raked. So they don't kill the grass that I've been obsessing over for the summer. Which, you have to admit, looks amazing. Yeah, but isn't that thanks to the weed man? Well, the fact that I sought out, like, lawn care. I mean, I'm not out there spraying, like, <laughs> exactly. different fertilizers Well, you're and taking credit for it. Look, like, I spent a lot of time staring at that grass. You did water it, too. Oh, I was out there with the sprinkler, like, every mm-hmm. morning this summer. I wouldn't say every morning, but. A lot of mornings. Yeah. And you had to move it every like 30 minutes. Yeah. But yeah, so I did rake the leaves, which you helped with. Thank you. And then pressure washed the front porch. And then that was going to be it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pressure wash the deck since I have it out. And then that took like quadruple the amount of time as pressure washing the the front of the house. But it looks awesome. Which you don't care about. I should have taken a before and after. Yeah, you should have. Because it looks the same to me. What? I'll, I'll, I'll see what I have on my phone. It's like, le- it's like the wood is like bright instead of like kind of grayish. Like you realize there's like a bunch of crap on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a very rewarding task. I imagine so. Yeah. Um, so gosh, we leave for Chicago this week on Thursday mm-hmm. for your marathon. Are you, like, besides the psychosomatic pain that you're having all over your body (laughs) because you're inside of a week, Yeah. are you feeling prepared? I don't know. Okay, this isn't psychosomatic. I have a hip problem. Sure you do. It's been happening, like, every every week on my long runs, it it starts hurting, but, like, it starts hurting at, like, 25 or 30K. So I'm like, that's fine. Like, I know I'm going to have hip pain. It's, it happens first on my left. But like I can deal with it. But then um, I did my 5K last weekend. And then on Tuesday, I did a half marathon. So 21.1K at my race pace. And my hip started hurting at like eight kilometers. But I didn't stop because I had done an out and back. Yeah. And I was really far from my truck. So I just continued to run and was able to like maintain my pace. But like my hip, whenever I went from like, Whenever my leg like swung forward, it was hurting every single step. You know that feeling. Yeah. So I've just been babying that a little bit, hoping it gets better. It is already better. I just, I worry about it starting to hurt early in the marathon and then me having to like deal with it for for a, a very long time rather than a shorter period of time at the end. But I think it'll be fine. I'm only like nine out, nine out of 10, super stressed. (laughs) But if it wasn't your hip, it would be something else stressing you out. No. Oh, okay. The hip is adding to the stress. Uh, I usually sit at like an eight. Okay. And this is... Just added a point. It's added a whole point. Well, I was having similar hip issues and pain before my half marathon. <laughs> and I decided for two reasons not to bring it up with you. And the first was 
I didn't want to like speak it into existence. I just like, if I ignore this and make some like reasonable modifications to my training, be smart, <clears throat> then it'll be okay. And like, I wanted to believe that. So I didn't bring it up. And then the second reason was I was trying to be respectful of the fact that you are still at that point a month away over a month. No, about a month away. And I didn't want to like worry you. Yeah. So I'm complaining about my hip constantly because it's what I do. Oh, I'm worried about my hip. I'm worried about my hip. What if I can't do the marathon? And Meredith out comes out with it. She's like, oh, I know exactly what you're feeling. I had that like the week leading up to my marathon, like to the point where I could even like she said, I don't, e I don't know if you noticed, but like, I was like lifting my legs into the into the car with my arms, like hands. So I couldn't lift my own leg up. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, just like kept that to myself. That's so weird. I don't know. I just, I have this thing about like injuries before sporting events. And I don't, I see like the impact that that can have. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I know you're different. Um, but I have seen the impact that that can have on someone's mentality going into a, a competition or a race or something. And I just, I didn't want to give it any more power over my mind than it already had. And so I just kept Same. it to myself. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, like the other night I had a dream that I was going to the marathon and in the dream, my hip hurt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so. I guess we just, we handle things like that differently. Uh, but I, I think either way it's going to be fine. If I have to run with some extra pain, then. So I mean, I, I do think like before races and competitions, you do become, Hyper aware. hyper aware of your body mm -hmm. and maybe notice things that are like kind of on a low level always there and you just don't notice maybe. um or you can't you you i think you do have the f the power to like fabricate some you know discomfort or find things to worry about or fret about i don't think that's uncommon in sports but not that that's what's going on with you i don't think that's the case but i think generally you're just you're very aware because it's important and yeah. you're worried about the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it'll be fine. My general outlook on life is things do tend to be okay. Yeah, that it will be fine. <coughs> you just deal with some some pain for a little Yeah, while. which I was expecting anyways, so it should be fine. Yeah. Um so what do you want to talk about today? Oh, I thought we'd talk briefly about the uh the Noah Olson post that his went success up on story, his transformation, <laughs> um, which like, okay, f for background, I guess if people aren't aware of what on earth we're talking about, Noah Olson posted after the CrossFit games wrapped up. Well, I guess, uh, it was several weeks because it was like the beginning, the first week of September, he posted that he was 205 pounds and he felt like his weight maybe held him back at the CrossFit games and he just wasn't feeling light or fast or fit or whatever, like he wanted. So he, he, it was his goal to, to lose 20 pounds and be at like 185 pounds, kind of closer to, I guess the seat when the season starts up. And I think like I made the assumption probably like a lot of people that his goal was to lose 20 pounds over the next I don't know, six to eight months, just kind of like, you know, slowly lose some weight, modify training. And I even wrote a piece about this for morning chalk up where, you know, there's, there's certainly a, a impact that body weight can have on performance, uh, especially for aerobic, like endurance type performance. And this is pretty well like documented and studied, but as far as CrossFit goes, it's so hard to say, like, you can't really say that body weight, at least at an elite level, has that big of an impact. Because you look at Brent Fakowski, who had his best finish since, what, like 2017? And he's the heaviest that he's ever been. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's, like, a magic number for each person. I think it does depend on... No, you look, even from, like, you look at the women's leaderboard and podium, and you have Tia, who... What she claims she's 115 pounds. Is that 110? I think. 
<laughs> 50 kilos. I think she actually does say she's like 130. I think she lists, she has her weight listed at 59 kilos, oh which is under 130. Okay. Anywho. Um, and well, then just you, have, you have, uh, Laura Horvath, yeah, who's on the bigger end. Um, so it de- like again, it there, yeah. It has more to do with like functional body mass, how you move your body around. Like obviously, bigger athletes do tend to move weight better, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just hard to like put your finger on like what is an optimal body weight and size for a CrossFit athlete because like it depends mm-hmm. on the person. But um, anyways, like well to 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 add to your context. In his original post, which was August 22nd, he said, to kickstart the season, I'm going to find a balance of both, um, and both meaning, uh, I don't know, and slowly work my body down to around 185 pounds. I'm not the leanest I've ever been, but I do think a good bit of the weight I'll lose will be muscle. For our sport, I believe there is such a thing as too much muscle. I'll keep you posted on this small part of my pursuit to win the CrossFit Games. I'll likely be getting professional guidance to make sure I lose the weight in a healthy and sustainable way. Yeah, that's good context, actually. And so, okay, so you read but that he, post. I, I love his progress photo. It's like he's just so ripped, so lean, so jacked. Like, okay. Yeah, and that's it's not to take anything away from, like, his experience or what he's feeling because, like, maybe he did feel big or inflamed or, like, you know, he wasn't fit or breathing well whatever like whatever his experience was that led to that post is probably painted with some accuracy from some experience that he had but anyways you read that and you kind of think like like I think he uses the words like slow and sustainable and so in my mind that's like and lose muscle he specifically says like he probably needs to lose muscle knowing he doesn't have a lot of fat to lose yeah, and that was, like, kind of called out in my morning chalk-up piece is the guy maybe has, like, <clears throat> maybe four or five pounds to lose to keep him at, a like, a safe and healthy body fat percentage. Um, yeah, so, okay, going to lose some fat, but probably a lot of muscle over the course of six months in a slow and sustainable way to get down to a functional and, like, as strong as possible 185. And a sustainable 185. Yeah. Fine. Totally fine. Um, so I think we, like a lot of people, were a bit remiss when we saw the post on Friday that was basically like, hey, guys, I achieved my goal of losing well, I 20 can, pounds. I'll read it. It's short. Um, he posts, if you haven't seen it, he posts a photo of himself, another progress photo where, to me, he looks exactly the same. I reached my goal. This morning, I officially weighed in at 185. I've never been a number on the scale guy, but it was nice to be able to know that I was on the right track every day, and it felt like a celebration to finally reach my goal. I lost just over 20 pounds in about a month, thanks in part to the guidance of at M2 Performance Nutrition, an increase in lower intensity activity and decrease in overall calories made it happen. Consistently, Consistency played a big role but there were definitely moments of indulgence along the way. I was hungry at times, but never felt like I was starving myself. Now it's time to slowly add some calories back as training starts to pick up. What I love about this is if you didn't read the part about how quickly the weight loss and by weight loss, I'm in quotes, happened, you would, he sounds like a lot of my clients who have been working to lose weight over the course of six months or 12 months. Yeah. Like, you know, there were some indulgences along the way. I was hungry at times, but like you did this for a month. Mm-hmm. Consistency? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. You know? Yeah. So what I, what I took away from that is, and this is again, not Noah's fault. He's not meant to be an expert on like nutrition and health or really exercise for that matter. He just does it. Super nice guy has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. My guess is that he stepped on a scale right after the CrossFit games and was 205 pounds. Is he actually 205 pounds at that time? Like probably not. I mean, he, he was. That's what the scale says. 
but what was probably going on is like he just wrapped up the you know the hardest competition of the season stress was through the roof from the competition itself probably not performing the way that he wanted like his food intake would be extremely high after that week salt intake is extremely high after that week um just general inflammation yeah inflammation in the body the body um super high after that week so all of these things can lead to in a like a 190 to 200 pound man it's not it would not be shocking to me for someone to weigh five to ten pounds more than normal after a week like that um so do i i think he it was a true 205 like if he had given it a week well not to mention all the training the high intensity training going in like it was it was several it was a few months of like high intensity training and competition oh yeah so it wasn't just the week it was the build-up to the crossfit games the culmination like yeah. muscle mass was actually was probably and up. general like just general stress that has an impact on your hormones and mm-hmm. your body's propensity to retain water yep so okay 205 pounds right after the crossfit games if he does absolutely nothing doesn't step on the scale doesn't say hey i want to lose weight if he does absolutely nothing and just goes on his merry way and does what he usually does after the CrossFit games, which is what most people do after the CrossFit games, which is take it really easy on training, like back off the the food intake a little bit, relax, go on vacation, hang out with friends and family, that kind of stuff gets back on the scale a month later. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that without really even trying, he would probably be, 10 to 15 pounds lighter without, without even being aware that that change was occurring. And so what's like important and like, you know, the, the post went up and I was like, ah, like I saw it, people were sending it and it just, I felt like it was sending the wrong message. And I guess some people got in the comments and kind of said, said similar things. Um, and Mike Malloy came on after the post went up and did put a video up kind of explaining what was going on, which is what I had put in my story ahead of that video, which is that you're looking at a tremendous reduction in training volume, like stress, stress went down, like stress management, like techniques were put into place. Calorie intake probably down a little bit. I will add to calorie intake. When you start tracking your macros, whether you're a high-level athlete or a regular person, you become much more aware of food quality. Yeah, it's automatic. And so his food quality probably increased at the same time. Yeah. Which um, can also impact. You know, you have it more fiber. Your body's just like yeah, functioning better. Exactly. Gut health is improved. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at a pretty massive reduction in inflammation and water retention just as a result of like doing a better job managing stress like training volume came down so like joint inflammation which does cause water retention in the body that comes down so it wasn't it's not 20 pounds of body mass which i think is really important to to point out because while noah does say in the post you know it was a result of calorie intake and training intensity it doesn't say this is not body mass and i think it's important to point that out because someone who doesn't know a lot about training doesn't know a lot about nutrition but follows no Olson reads that and they think, huh, well, this guy that doesn't even have 20 pounds to lose can lose 20 pounds in a month. And then they look in a mirror and think, well, I have 40 pounds to lose. So I should be able to lose 20 pounds in a month. And so it's just, it's kind of this thing that we run into with athletes sometimes where they don't like it. They aren't necessarily aware of the impact of the words that they say and the context and why the context is really important. Yeah. There were a couple, a lot of comments were like, good job, dude, you looking ripped. But there were a couple of comments in there that said, um, is it a good idea for you to be promoting tw- like that 20 pounds of weight loss in 30 days is a good idea yeah. from, to most people? <laughs> like, But that's like the minority of the people in the comments section. Yeah, the majority were like, sweet. Like, Which I think reflects well the base. Well done, good job, dude. Wow, that's hard work. Yeah, I think that re- that <sighs> reflects probably the the level of knowledge that most people operate with regarding nutrition and expectations on what's safe and possible and what isn't. Um, 
so yeah, that was, it, it always gets me thinking when these posts happen and like Tia has done this before with her, you know, day of eating the, you know, the fittest woman on earth eats 2,100 calories a day. Like really? Like, I don't think like it's not malicious in any way. Oh, 100% like, not. And definitely not by no, like he is. And I can per- say this personally cause I've met him and seen him in competition. One of the most genuine, like nice guys out there and would never want per- like want to do anything that like he even said, he's like, what, what goals do you guys have work like what goals are you guys working on i'm interested to know and like he probably genuinely is trying to inspire people to meet your their goals but what he doesn't understand what tia doesn't understand when she's showing her day of eating is like people are looking at that and comparing themselves yeah and it's like what they're they're achieving what they're saying they've done isn't true in the words that they've used or they don't understand the impact that it has yeah, and like nutrition is, I think, or it doesn't apply to to a, a regular person, right? And nutrition is is it's a funny thing, and it's 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 so much more than just like the food that a person eats. And I think that's maybe where the disconnect is with athletes at an elite level. People like Tia, people like Noah. Like it's not to say that they've never struggled with um, what they eat or food intake or body image or anything. It's not to say that at all it's unlikely that they've struggled with that recently and maybe have become less aware that that's a real issue for people and um when you say things that are not realistic and not based in reality and don't don't paint a represent like a a good picture of what's real like it people just yeah they don't they don't understand. Like, um, we've talked about this before. Ideal weight loss for most people, regardless of how much weight you have to lose, is about 0.5 to 1 pounds per week. Yeah, to lose 20 pounds in a month requires a, uh, a 2,500 calorie per day deficit. Yeah. Mathematically, so, like, it's impossible. To, to explain this... I've and I watched the, if you've ever seen the show Naked and Afraid those people are out there for 21 days and some people only lose 15 pounds but they're literally not eating or drinking mm-hmm. they literally they're not doing anything like training they're literally not eating and they still don't lose 20 pounds the males don't even well survivor is the same thing and like they've also doc like this is documented they have like the starvation experiments from way back, like the Minnesota starvation experiment, which if you are in nutrition and haven't read or looked at that, like 100% do it. But they like, it's, it's well known that when you deprive a a human being of calories, like they lose weight in a, like on a, a very, in a very predictable way. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's, it's important not only for kind of debunking Noah, and saying like, no, dude, like you, you didn't lose 20 pounds. You can't lose 20 pounds in 30 days while also eating of, of and, mass. Yeah. Body mass. That's what I mean. Yeah. And it's not saying he's done anything wrong. It's just the way that people might interpret that is yeah. that 20 pounds of weight loss while training, while moving, while exercising, while eating is basically impossible in 30 days. Yeah. So, but it's also, hang on a second. Sorry. Um, don't interrupt me, <laughs> but it also, and, uh, <laughs> but what is, uh, so what i was gonna um (laughs) yeah so the other thing sorry for interrupting him that's didn't mean to that's fine yeah it's just kind of your thing uh you like to channel joe rogan on these (laughs) podcasts sometimes um so yeah the other i just get so like (laughs) (laughs) you are so annoying now okay all right, so we we can kind of debunk that twenty pounds weight loss is not really possible in thirty days if we're training and eating and functioning like a normal human being. But then, the the flip side, the other side of that coin, is that um, when people say I'm eating too little, I'm not eating enough to lose weight. You know that, like, oh, you're you're in like starvation mode. Starvation that's not really a thing. If you don't eat, you will lose weight period the tricky thing is like metabolic down regulation and 
like a safe calorie deficit at that point versus like we don't want anyone eating below their BMR. I don't know. That tangent worked better before all the interruptions, Alex. I think the starvation mode, like what do people mean when they say starvation mode? People mean like, I think there's, there's different definitions of that. Yeah. Well, I think like it got popular a few years ago and Lane Norton has a, a little bit to do with this because he kind of like, and he's, he's walked himself out of this theory, but he brought mm-hmm. this up. He was like the one who said this. And so starvation mode was thought to be, if you are in a calorie deficit for too long, your body, your base metabolic rate and actually and like daily energy expenditure will drop below the, like your calorie set point and will continue to do that and make it impossible to lose weight because you can't cut calories enough can't create a deficit exactly um but that doesn't happen that's not a thing and even we've kind of figured out that you know it used to be thought that some of the metabolic damage was permanent but we've actually figured out that's not true either so it will reverse and actually it reverses quite a bit quicker than um people used to think so anyways it's just people so if someone's at like 13 or 1200 calories and they're not losing weight. What does that mean? <coughs> like you can, I think some people use the phrase starvation mode to describe metabolic downregulation. To a point where losing weight does become more difficult. And you have to continue to drop calories. Yeah. And it's like, okay, then, but I guess starvation mode, there is, isn't really like, well, what calorie is like, what, how many calories do you, do you hit starvation mode? Well, yeah. So there's this has n- been, uh, it's not really definable. Exactly. But what is definable and this is, um, man, we're, are, we want to go down a tangent really quick. Yeah. Okay. I think this is interesting for people. Um, so what we can define, and this is by, by, uh, bringing people into a lab setting is we can measure base metabolic rate and we can measure like daily energy expenditure very accurately, actually Um, not with a watch, not with like a whoop or anything like in a lab that can be done. And so there's been a few experiments where they've done this. And the whole, the whole reason behind the experiment is to figure out why people who are reporting a low calorie intake between let's just say 1200 to 1500 calories um, and they're obese. They're people who need to lose weight why don't they lose weight on 12 to 1500 calories despite that mathematically being a calorie deficit? And so the way that these experiments start or a lot of them say all of them, but a lot of them start is by bringing subjects into a lab and assessing their resting metabolic rate and energy expenditure. Because the first thing that you need to do in assessing people like this is say like, okay, are we operating with like within predicted values for, metabolic rate. And what that means is I know on paper, just based on the metrics of this person, their age, um, their gender, height, weight, um, what their base metabolic rate should be, and then what their rate of energy burn will be. So I have that number on paper. But and does base this, metabolic rate is how much your body burns or the it's amount just, of energy your body uses just to stay alive. Yeah, if you were to just sit on a couch all yeah. day and not move, that's BMR. <laughs> um, so we have that number empirically. We know what that should be. But the the reason we bring people into the lab is to understand, is there a discrepancy between what we, we think that it should be and what it actually is? Like, is there something going on, some sort of metabolic downregulation or like dysfunction that is causing this person to burn far fewer calories than we think they should be. And what they always find, researchers, when they bring these people in, is they fall within about a 5% range on predicted metabolic values, meaning that from a statistical like standpoint, these people are like bang on bullseye in the middle of the target exactly where they should be as far as... So they're not special? No, no. Right. And there's... There's a, a, there's a very, there's very few, um, like medical conditions or situations that would result in, uh, 
metabolic dysregulation to the point where energy expenditure and needs would be different than what scientists think they should be. And these are people who have historically dieted. So if you're looking at anyone who should have down regulation, it's these people. So if I were to just tell you that fact. And just to describe, so down regulation would mean if you're, if you're what is calculated as your maintenance calories, say, let's just say they're 200, it's 2,200 for somebody who's overweight. They're, if you drop them down dieting to 1600 and they are at 1600 for so long that now 1600 is their maintenance calories. So they will not lose weight now at 1600 calories. Yeah. That your metabolism would be, if that were to happen, downregulated. Metabolic downregulation does occur. Or you stop moving around less. Yeah. It's, and that's what I was going to say. It's, it's actually more a byproduct of, of like un, like unconscious things that you stop doing so you stop fidgeting as much you don't you're less likely to take the stairs when you exercise you do it for less time with less intensity um you park closer to grocery you don't walk around as much so your your energy expenditure decreases without you really even being aware of it and that's where the majority of our calorie burn from the day comes anyways so when we talk about down regulation, that's going to be the biggest contributor. And then things that actually impact your, your base metabolic rate, your calorie needs at rest. Um, if you are losing weight, you're going to lose some amount of that from muscle mass and that's going to do it. Um, the amount of energy required to digest less food is obviously less. So a lot of little things, but anything that like nothing really that, that impacts lab values or, or creates what would be considered a statistically significant deviation from predicted metabolic values. So if I just told you that, if I said, here's this group of people and they're reporting that they're only eating 12 to 1500 calories a day, they're not losing weight. We took them into a lab and their metabolism's working just fine. Where do you go next as a scientist? Then you would probably start measuring food intake or you would have them report intake. Right. And then compare that to actual intake. Yep. Which is exactly what these studies do. Yeah. And so what these studies have found and what they've kind of, because it's the most usable um, result is that the reason why these, why people don't lose weight on 12 to 1500 calories is not because they have metabolic dysfunction. It's simply because they're not reporting their intake properly. And so I think the the statistic, and I should have pulled this up if I knew we were going to talk about it, but I, it's significant. It's like between 40 and 50% um, people underest their, underestimate their food intake by 40 to 50%, and they overestimate their physical activity by like a similarly statistic, like significant value. And so you know, with that amount of error, you're looking at someone who might be reporting 1500 calories a day, who's actually eating closer to 2,700 calories a day. That's significant. And I think the misreporting is sometimes intentional. I mean, I have clients who come clean with it and they're like, yeah, I don't put everything in my log. But then I also have clients who, or people in general in these studies who like genuinely think that they're reporting accurately when they're not. And they've done this with registered dietitians, like people who should be very aware and, and good at reporting food intake. And even the, the quote unquote professionals under report by, I think around 20 to 25%. And these are people who are professionals and also not trying to lose weight. So it's, it's just kind of a phenomenon, uh, that we've observed. And I say, we, I don't mean we like you and me are coaches. I just mean, we as like a scientific community. Um, and that's kind of like, it creates a gap between, okay, this is happening. Why? And, um, you know, what's that, what's really happening. And it's a difficult conversation to have because when you suspect that it's occurring, you don't want to make accusations because we know it happens accidentally a mm-hmm. lot of the time. So it's how do we correct for it? 
Um, yeah, so that was kind of that was kind of that. Where were we going with that tangent, or was that just like a fun fact kind of thing? I don't remember. We were talking about starvation, mode yeah, and just how like Noah's results are like there's sort of science that yeah it goes both ways. But. Yeah. So I guess to go back to Noah, what's scary and what bothered me about that post was the fact that people in society see on magazines, um, hear from their friends who do keto, which honestly is, is basically the same thing that Noah would experience, which is just like a loss of a lot of water weight yeah. in a short amount of time. Um, you know, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, weight watchers, promotions, stuff like that. And then there, but that's on a magazine. Like that's in a magazine. It's like, oh, that's not real. We know that's not real. Alex and Meredith have made fun of that. Like that's not real. That weight loss doesn't happen that quickly. But then they open their Instagram and they see somebody who's actually done it and saying like, oh yeah, I lost, I lost 20 pounds like this. It's like, ugh, you know, you're not helping. That's not the case. Yeah. And then, you know, M2 did do a video on like explaining, like you said, why he was able to lose the 20 pounds in such a short period of time. But Noel Olson has like, I don't even know how many followers. He had over 30,000 likes just on that post. M2 has like 30,000 followers and I'm pretty sure only a few hundred views on that video. So like that video doesn't really do much to fix the message being sent out. Yeah. Um, and hopefully people don't follow Noah Olson for, you know, weight loss tips and stuff like that. They probably don't. So that's fine. But still, um, the second question I have is Noah, what happens when you start training very intensely again and your inflammation goes up and you don't have time or the energy to walk your dog all day and you have to eat more calories to support higher intensity training. Oh, and you're stressed because you're back in competition. Does your body weight just magically stay 185? No, it's going to go back up because you didn't actually lose body mass. Yeah. No. How was that not discussed in M2's video? And not, this isn't against M2. I guess the, they, they wanted to address the obvious how question. it happened. Yeah. And clear people and clear people's minds, and and they said, which I'm, I was happy about, um, it's it somebody else's results are not your results, um, because I'm sure clients were like, why haven't I lost twenty pounds? I only I've only lost three pounds this month. Yeah. Um, yeah, I but, guess that's but that it's weird that no, like, what is going to happen? I don't, I just that's a conversation. What does that Noah think he's just going to ma- magically maintain what eighty five? Yeah, and it like I guess there's a a possibility that that happens, but it's not likely to happen. And then if you like he can say he's not a numbers guy, but like now he is a numbers guy and as soon as you become a numbers person and you see that number go in the opposite direction, like that's just one more thing to get stressed about. Well, especially when he's labeled his failure to achieve what he thought was a successful placing at the CrossFit games due to his body weight, specifically the number on the scale, at least in part. Yeah. So it's just, that's going to be something that has to be managed by his team coaching team. Yeah. When it, when it happens, cause it will, it will probably happen. It it will be interesting. I hope maybe he'll just be like, ah, it wasn't, that wasn't the right call. Yeah. It's kind of just happened to athletes all the time. Totally. And it's, it's just, it's another one of these things where it's like, you and this is like a recurring theme in our our coaching and just the way that we are is like focus on the process and the outcomes will control like they'll take care of themselves and so if you're working with someone like Mike Malloy or or any any coach who's who is a a nutrition but also a like a lifestyle and performance coach and they say to you like dude you're inflamed like you're, you're retaining a, a lot of water because you're stressed out. So we have to, in addition to like, let's take a look at your macros, but we have to take care of your stress and we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to do this. And it's all process related. All of that stuff is process related. 
because that's how good coaching works. Just focus on doing those things and focus less on what the outcome is because the outcome is going to be the outcome. Whether it's whether you go down to 185 and then come back up to 190, 195, like it's going to be what it's going to be. If the things that you are doing make you feel better, managing stress, managing training volume, eating maybe a higher quality diet, like walking your dog, then keep doing those things and worry less about what the outcome specifically is going to be because as soon as you attach like emotions to a specific outcome, you put your finger on it, now that outcome and the achievement of it is what dictates your happiness, at least to an extent. And so that's what I worry about with athletes who, who do the body weight dance. They get all fixated on the number because it's like, why don't you just do what you like, make the changes that you know you need to make anyways. And then like be the weight that you're going to be with those changes. I don't know. It's my two cents. Yeah. Um, I had, I had a, I don't, I don't know. It's messy because there are moments where you're like, you know, I think sometimes even with myself, I'm like, man, if I could lose 10 pounds, I'd be faster at running. Or if I lost 10 pounds, I'd be better at gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes there are days and I weigh myself every day just for data. There are some days where I weigh like a couple pounds less or a pound less than usual. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely like, I feel lighter doing gymnastics. I'm like, no, you don't. You think one pound makes a difference? It's so mental. It gets in your head. Yeah. And you have to work hard not to let it. And like, that's why a lot of people don't weigh themselves. That's why, you know, you have to really focus on the other things and not the number. I remember, and this is just how, like how deeply ingrained this type of behavior becomes in our society. I don't, I hardly ever weigh myself. I weigh myself maybe like maybe twice a year. Does the number ever change? Not really. Sometimes it, like it's down now, I would guess, just because of all the running. But I remember specifically maybe like six or eight weeks ago when my running volume was high. I had a, a run and it was hot and I sweat a lot. And I came back home and I hadn't eaten a lot before the run. Like I ate like an early breakfast. But like I, I that was kind of during that time where I wasn't tolerating food before runs very well. I think partially because it was hot. So I hadn't had a lot to eat beyond just like sort of simple carbohydrates. I had sweat a lot, come home, go upstairs, take a shower, come out of the shower, dry myself off, look at the scale, think, I bet I'm really light right now. And I like, I almost got on the scale just cause like, I bet I'm really like, why would, why, 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 why does that matter? Like, why does that matter? It's I don't like because you know in your head the next day or two days later, you're going to be exactly where you always are, which is probably four pounds heavier than I was that <laughs> afternoon. I didn't like, I didn't weigh myself. I was like, don't, don't be ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. Yeah. But it's like, it is, it is hard. Like, I think we just, as a society have attached such a value to like being small for some reason. Yeah. And I think CrossFit too, um, there uh, there's a lot of like numbers and results like how much can you lift what Mm. was your time like i lit i i'm not even that elite and i record everything like it says like not for time and as soon as i'm done i look at the clock Mm -hmm. it's like a habit it's like what oh what i get i'm like what i wasn't even doing it for time yeah um and so and then obviously macros are huge in crossfit more so in crossfit than in anywhere else yeah in any other sport there's so much focus on the data whoops are getting into crossfit it's so much and so of course body weight's going to come into play um and not because it needs to it's not like we're weightlifters and we're getting put in weight classes here doesn't it doesn't matter you look at the leaderboard and then the range of body weights and body types are so big it's massive there's there's no correlation i mean maybe there is i don't i'm gonna venture um a guess and say there's no correlation between body weight and performance. No, I already did that analysis. Yeah. So I did that for, for morning chalk up really quick, just a really quick regression analysis, top 20, no correlation. Yeah. So I, I don't know it. 
to to start focusing on on the number on on the scale is like ugh, it's a yeah. slippery slope i think personally but then again you know noah might just have this as an experience and he might say oh yeah 185 is great i'm gonna try to stay here or he might say eh, it doesn't didn't work out i'm just gonna like focus on performance and like feeling good and not worry about the weight yeah which i'm sure has happened to a ton of different athletes 100%. they try different things yeah I had an athlete who wanted to lose weight. Um, it was a female uh, before before the open, and she lost a couple pounds. But like, she got kind of got to the end and was like, you know what? It's kind of like a big effort to like really meticulously track and like balance performance and weight loss. And she's like, and you know, then she's you know having to move her food around, meal timing to make sure it's around her workouts. And she did kind of see her performance dwindle a little because she's not fueling her body like she used to and. She was like, I, I actually think I just perform better being a little bit heavier and like happy and just well fed and energetic. Like, you know, there's going to be a give and take there. Yeah. And that's an, that's a um, that's an example of just like experimenting with a few things and be like, yeah, no, I'm I think this is this was good to know, but I'm going to go in this direction. Yeah. It's like, OK, let's up your calories and go go from there. Yeah. But <sighs> totally. But I kind of generally think people do a lot of stuff they don't need to be doing. Yeah. Tracking. Or not not tra- I don't mean tracking macros, but just like all of the data that you can track these days. It's insane. Yeah. Like the gadgets. It really and is. Tools and yeah, just all this stuff that really just makes it more complicated and more complex, I think. Yeah. Um, have you ever been really into like like super extra on something and realized it it doesn't even matter. Oh yeah. I mean, I would kind of describe myself as like an extra person generally. It's funny. I'm just sitting here thinking about like CrossFit and, um, my kind of my, my story arch, my arch as an athlete in CrossFit. And I definitely like when I, so I started CrossFit in 2012 and I definitely went through like a gear phase where like if they made it and I thought it could make me better, I got it. Um, wrist wraps, knee sleeves, different belts, massage thingies. I don't know if you remember before the like the hyper volt or hyper ice Theragun things were around. You would just go get a car buffer. And yeah, plug somebody those in. had that. So I had the car buffer. <laughs> I had several different types of wrist wraps. I had um every rogue t-shirt ever made i had headbands lots of different shoes i remember this guy came by one time at our gym and he had like carbon fiber shoe inserts and i was like 100 percent, give me a pair of those that's gonna make me better yeah so i went through that phase with crossfit and then it, it was weird it's like the better i got not by virtue of having any of that crap the less stuff I used. And so now, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm definitely not the best at CrossFit that I've ever been in my life. But even when I was that person back in like 2017, 2018, I was, I had become a minimalist with gear, like no knee sleeves, rarely ever used a belt, like no wrist wraps, like very minimal stuff. Cause it's like, it didn't matter. And it was just like, it was like more crap to deal with and mm-hmm. carry around and like keep up with. Um, what about, did you ever do that with CrossFit? Yeah, I was kind of like in, into the new stuff, but um, I wouldn't say I was to that degree. Cause I'm trying to think like I bought, I wasn't like I, so I started CrossFit and I had, um, these like new balance like minimalist shoes they weren't like the toe shoes they were just like flats yeah i remember those because somebody was like you need flat shoes for crossfit i think they were actually called like minimus yeah they were and they were green and totally had those they had they were really cool (laughs) yeah they were um i i had a rope climb workout one day and they just got absolutely destroyed i tried to climb a rope in nike breeze <laughs> one time and that was like they had these like chunks on the bottom yeah bent. like one it a literal chunk came out of the shoe and i was like oh, okay and so i think it was a like a few months later i was at in new york and we went into a reebok store 
and my mom bought me nanos they were the nano twos turquoise yeah um and i couldn't believe like how these things held up in comparison to these new balance shoes like they were indestructible yeah like nanos kind of are indestructible yeah they were which like is impressive yeah and then and then they had like i think i don't know which was five or four that was like they had the kevlar and yeah. like man i still have some of those shoes they're still in great shape um but beyond that, I don't think, like, I didn't start lifting with a belt until a couple years ago, like, yeah. um, or a few years ago. Never have worn knee sleeves. Try to use nanos whenever I can, even the lift, like, I use lifters for, like, heavy stuff. But I think, too, like, when you get into competition, you realize, like, you can't really get away with being, like, that equipment person because you don't have time to be taking a belt on and off. You don't have, like, what if you're doing a rope climb? snatch running workout and you can't wear your lifters mm -hmm. you kind of need to be able to snatch heavy in in your nanos or whatever shoes you're wearing yeah um and you see it like i remember there was a year they had like running and pistols and people were running in their lifters yeah. because they legit couldn't do pistols without their lifting shoes yeah that would have been like 2014 yeah so you kind of <laughs> get stuck in these little like even today with some of my back issues i'm like I need to be, I need to wear my belt, but I'm also on the, like on the assault bike or the rower and like yeah. it impedes your breathing limits that it does. So you can't really be doing that. Um, but you're kind of like that with like most sports. Uh, eh, definitely. Okay. So I don't know. Skiing probably most recently Meredith has, and she says she's over it over this idea, but she wanted to buy some sort of boot inserts that analyze something about your skiing yeah, that so, make you a better skier. Okay. So I will admit I sometimes get sucked into Instagram marketing, which like you're welcome. Cause you're sitting on the byproduct of that. Okay. Podcast, a gosh. like extremely overpriced, tiny hard couch. So yeah, there's this thing called carve and it's a, it's an insert that goes in your ski boot and there's a little thing and it senses the pressure and movement of your foot. And it tells you like, okay, you're, you know, you're not like, I don't know. It gives you cues or whatever. Cause I am trying to get better at skiing and I haven't paid for a lesson yet. And it, it like, initially it seemed like a good thing and got good reviews, but then I was reading more reviews and people were like, just go get lessons. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go get lessons. I give you a lesson every time we go out. You do not. You give me a lesson in like, don't listen to Alex. Okay. But, That's um, rude. I would say like, I will admit to with skiing, I, uh, I've reverted Back you're an my, equipment snob i am and it doesn't even make sense why i'm an equipment snob because i am not a good skier like i am there's no there's no poles that are going to make me any less intermediate at skiing like that's just that isn't it but it doesn't mean that i'm not going to try at least when someone sees you in the lineup for the chairlift they'll assume you're good yeah which at is, least you have that that's true which is important to me. I had, when I first got back into skiing, I was so cheap. Cause like I already had to buy the boots, the skis and a new helmet and goggles. So when it came down to snow pants and a jacket, I was like, whatever, I'm just going to wear what I have, which was like a 10 year old university of Alaska ski jacket. Um, I bought pretty much the cheapest snow pants I could purchase. <laughs> they looked like, like kids they're like navy blue <laughs> like no branding on them like they weren't fitted super at all. baggy um and then i just wore like underneath whatever i had like i i think i just with like, a couple of sweaters a cotton some like layers and i there was one day at sunshine i i think i was borderline hyperthermic yeah and you're like i'm super warm and i was wearing like 10 year old mittens yeah and i was where i had like i had new mittens i was wearing like all of the base layer stuff I had bought the last All year. All the latest technology. I was so warm. Everything but a heated jacket. Yep. Which and so on on sure. the drive home, I I did go a little crazy purchasing all the... Like, I will say merino wool is worth it. <laughs> and so is um, a properly insulated jacket. And like not 10 year old mittens but Meredith always says like, I think I'm going to need new skis this, this year because I'm going to need to level up. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can come up with an the goal is to always to skis. level up. It is. It is. And level up can take on very different meanings. I like how you say like, yeah, I went to Banff and like 
you know, outfitted myself with a bunch of news. You didn't even have your wallet with you. I, I outfitted I you. didn't want to have the option to buy anything. That's how I save money. <laughs> you just make me spend it on I you? I just don't bring my wallet anywhere. Oh, I need new mittens and new base layers, new jacket. In terms of like nutrition and fitness, I don't think I was ever... Like, I don't think I ever did anything like crazy. I was real, like really into BCAs. Yes, you were. I thought those were like what were going to make the difference. Is this recently? Um, No, this was like kind of when I started CrossFit, somebody was like, you need to take, you need to start taking like BCAs. And I was like, okay, I will. And like basically became addicted to them. <laughs> this is like a recent, I recently switched from BCAs to electrolyte tabs. Which are actually going to do something for you. Yeah, they're actually, especially now with all the running, they've yeah. been great to have. Hilarious. So you were never like, were you ever really extra with your diet or like? No, I think there was that one year I did the elimination diet, but that was for health problems. Like, yeah. Um, and funny enough, I did lose 10 pounds in about three days <laughs> because the elimination diet, you can't have hardly any carbs. And I cut out, Basically, my entire diet was carbs. So switching over was really bad. And then also on top of that, you have to cut out coffee. Yeah. Which if anyone's cut out coffee, you feel legitimately ill for two days if you go cold turkey, which I did. So I wasn't, didn't even have that much of an appetite. And I lost significant amount of water weight in a span of two days. And I didn't have a ton of weight to lose. I think over the course of six weeks on that elimination diet, I lost like 12 pounds. And it wasn't actual, like, it was, I wasn't eating carbs. And then part of it was a calorie deficit. When I was, when I used to weightlift for like American Open Nationals weightlifting, that level, I would cut from like 126 pounds to under 115 in 10 days. Yeah. All water. But you were telling me you were only eating like, well, I guess that's, you have to cut carbs to cut water, but like you were eating like a mound of beans. Oh God. Yeah, that was bad. It may have been, I'm just thinking it may have been closer to like two weeks, but between 10 days and 14 days. Yeah. Over That's 10 so pounds brutal. on like, and I had, I was, I mean, how'd you lift? Uh, I only bombed out once miraculously. Wow. Yeah. That's and then the I'm, power of adrenaline. It is. I, I moved up. I remember after, yeah, after the last nationals at 53 kilos, I was just, I was so miserable and that was the meat that I bombed out on because I was just I felt like death and that was I moved up to 58 and felt way better and didn't really have to cut yeah yeah I used to be so into paleo that I'm actually embarrassed for myself <laughs> to think back to that time in my did life. you feel amazing I think I had convinced myself I felt amazing I think like most people I think I was actually I actually probably did because I think I was legitimately eating like I don't know 150 grams of fat a day had to be and just like crushing sweet potatoes were you fat oh so you weren't fat adapted no but i used to god i, I felt so superior i i just i feel bad if i don't know if any of my like old co-workers listen to this but like i'm really sorry for how ridiculous i was did so oh man paleo I don't know how anyone would get enough carbs in doing paleo. You crush sweet potatoes. You would eat a, end up eating a lot of fiber. I think I was probably eating, I legitimately ate two to three sweet potatoes a day. That's a lot. Like I would just go for a, for a snack. I would microwave a sweet potato at work and eat it like a psychopath. That sounds horrible. I've, I was just, I would eat like this dry Japanese sweet potato and just feel like, just feel like the superiority, like, like running through my Did veins. you get like super, um, high quality, like grass fed beef and all that? All of it. Yeah. I like, I was that Did person. you put butter in your coffee? Was that a thing back then? No, I, I, I was, yeah, it, it was a thing, but I was never that. Okay. I never wanted to ruin my coffee. Do you remember the, like the steve's paleo snacks so like they used to come in plastic you buy from rogue it was like uber expensive beef jerky with like oil and like nuts in there raisins and things i would eat those for a snack how like i, I think i'm not i don't even know how i wasn't huge <laughs> i think i was just on my feet so much at work and like working out that man how i remember we had it was in 2014 i think 
there was a a Western Canada like girls CrossFit camp. So it was like all the people in Alberta, BC, Manitoba, um, Saskatchewan, and they came to Calgary to do it like a weekend. It was really fun. But my mom made dinner for everybody one night and she went way overboard because some that was back then when paleo was like legit. People were like losing their minds like over they could it. not eat unless it was like like high quality chicken that was free run all the all of that so the, the menu was and there were like i think 12 or 14 of us it was like a lot of girls eating a lot of food so she made appetizers that were bacon wrapped dates classic oh, classic or paleo. <laughs> prosciutto wrapped cantaloupe that was another one yeah um and then for the main course she had um, cut up into tiny cubes and baked sweet potatoes. And then she had bought chicken, but from the health food market. And if you, if you've ever bought chicken from a health food market for the first time after only buying it from like Safeway, it's about quadruple the, the cost. I think she spent $200 or more on just chicken for this dinner. And, and then for, for dessert, she made paleo brownies which again, like it was like the highest of quality honey, almond butter. I think th there was zucchini in there for more moisture as if you need more moisture <laughs> and dark, dark chocolate. Always These things dark. were basically like clumps of like chocolatey goo. I don't even yeah. want to know what the calorie content was. In <laughs> <them>. <laughs> That's like, uh... but I'm pretty sure like the entire, just the ingredients for the dinner were like a thousand dollars. That's like... Yeah, I mean, I used to make these. I actually had to look up the recipe while you were talking so I could get this right. I used to make these vanilla bean caramelitas from Paleo OMG. Do you remember that site? Oh, it's still around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's probably where she got a lot of those recipes. Yeah, and so this was this uh, these caramelitas, which is like a it's like a bar with like a topping. So I'll just, I'm not going to list off all of the ingredients, but I'll just, I'll, I'll highlight. So this is for, for one, uh, <clears throat> one preparation. I don't know how many these make, not nearly enough for what I'm about to say. So for the crust, one cup almond butter, one <laughs> That's cup. That's a whole jar. Almond butter. That's a whole jar. Quarter cup shredded coconut, two eggs, 12 dates <laughs> soaked in water for 30 minutes, pits removed. Five tablespoons full fat coconut milk, <laughs> vanilla bean pod cut in half lengthwise, seed scraped out with a sharp knife. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Always my favorite part. Uh, one cup cashews, <laughs> another quarter cup shredded coconut, two tablespoons raw honey, one cup dark chocolate chips. I would legit poop my pants if I ate that. <laughs> It was like you take them out and like you're like you're looking at this pan and you're holding it. And you're like, I don't. And it weighs 24 know pounds. How, how this thing weighs <laughs> as much as it does. Um, it's like I, lifting a 45 pound plate. Yeah. I remember that was my that was my go to paleo dessert when I had to do a paleo <laughs> dessert for the gym paleo potluck. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. That's, yeah. No, I never I never ever. I never did paleo. That's probably honestly why I made it to the games in 2015. I had a huge advantage over everybody, everybody else. Everybody else was eating way too much fat and not nearly enough And carbs. I had carbs going for me. You're like, I eat bagels, bitches. <laughs> but actually. I know. Come to think of it, that might actually be the reason. Everyone was self-handicapping without even knowing it. They had no idea. They had no idea. But I would say besides the skiing, like I don't really do the whole like trying to buy things to be better i mean i buy stuff for my bike but that's just because i really like bike stuff you know how it is i do alex is uh we haven't talked much about mountain biking or at least not in a while so i'll share alex is one of the best like natural mountain bikers i've ever seen like just picks lines like rides really well I knew I you'd be you good. You thought it was a fluke. I you did. Thought, you thought I was as good as I was, but you thought it was a fluke. Like, yeah. I, so, I don't know how she made it down that. But actually, she's just really good. I guess it's like, you did used to, Thank to you. bike and like the downhill skiing and like just like 
your natural ability to select lines is pretty good and just general athleticism even though like i don't think your riding positions were actually all that no they were because i helped you and then you got even better uh so that's great that's good for my ego but the best part about alex is that she's really really good at riding bikes knows absolutely nothing about bicycles yeah there was a day where we were mad at each other and i wanted to go biking and i went outside and my tire wasn't pumped up all the way and i was like i guess i can't go (laughs) like legit she doesn't pump her own tires doesn't know how to take a wheel off um what else did we learn none of that stuff is necessary when you have somebody who you can do it for you yeah clearly i did i did know how to do all that some of that stuff and like i used to be really into like tuning skis and the intricacies but i just i do not have the time or the patience anymore yeah that's okay because i love it what pains me now is i mean generally with skiing i never really had to buy buy anything for myself because number one my parents would pay for it because i was a kid and then when i got good enough i just got everything for free including tickets you didn't ever have to pay for tickets when you're on like upper to ski team so now paying for tickets is like the worst paying for all of your equipment also sucks and also getting your skis just simply like waxed or tuned it's like 85 dollars. i know when i used to do that in my basement in like 30 minutes an hour i used to have somebody who did that for me for free who traveled around was it your dad no we had like it was like we had like a chef but it was for our skis like a A ski guy a ski guy yeah and you just come down in the morning and they're ready to go man what a life it really was and so now i'm like god you know no wonder i didn't want to get back into skiing (laughs) (laughs) way too much work it was expensive and a lot of yeah mostly just expensive yeah but yeah not to brag or anything that was just the way it was i was spoiled (laughs) yeah spoiled and awesome Mm -hmm. yeah i get that that was kind of um a bit of a random episode but we got it all out i think yep that's a little update probably won't be able to do another one until after the marathon so or maybe we can bring we'll just bring like travel mics and no no but we'll be on we'll be videoing and doing instagram staying up to date that way so keep up with us or i guess alex i get to be the media media monkey for the weekend so we good are you excited i am are you ready to be done no i feel like i need more time i think that's i need more time i thought there's no way i'm gonna be able to run my goal and then i did it so i think i hope that'll be you i hope so and it's gonna be great weather your parents first time traveling back or anywhere since pandemic started so all stress levels will be high so everything will be as normal yep (laughs) (laughs) gonna get to the airport eight hours ahead of time we're just gonna spend the night there i think that's the best solution it's gonna be awesome i can't wait but thanks for listening we uh appreciate you and if you made it to this point wow you must have not a lot going on in your day. But uh, if you have any suggestions, comments, you know where to find us. And we will talk to you guys again really soon.